that not working? We're going? We're cruising, okay. All right, well, uh, I know we got uh, multiple visitors here uh, today. And in fact, you know, it's nice to see Bill Spitzer back from the hospital. It's been such a lengthy stay. It's almost like a, a visitor today. And Joy is with him, come back from Florida to visit us for her 90th birthday today. So you can come out. Yeah. And I know we have other visitors here, too, uh, with Daniel and Emma and others visiting the church. So I'll let you know, we have been doing a study on what it really means to be a slave of Christ. All of the biblical writers uh, in the New Testament identified themselves as slaves of Christ. They identify us as slaves. But that's not something we hear a whole lot about nowadays. And so we've been doing this study for quite a few weeks. What does it really mean when the Bible says, we are a slave of Christ? And I, I had promised uh, last Sunday that that message there would be a transition um, in, in our study, uh, moving from our obligations as a slave, which is what we've been focusing on for many weeks, to the benefits of, of being a slave of Christ. And uh, I, I just want to say in my defense that some transitions are, are slower than others. And, and so we didn't quite transition last week, but, but we are going to get to that transition at some point today. Uh, we're just going to look at one verse from the parable we looked at last Sunday, the parable of the talents found in Matthew chapter 25, and that verse is verse 23, which says, His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of of your master. Father God, we're just uh, so thankful for the opportunity we have to study your word. And we pray right now that you uh, would work in our hearts, in our lives, as you will today. In Jesus' name, amen. So on uh, January 20th, 1961, just a, a few years before I was born, John F. Kennedy was sworn in as president of the United States. And his inaugural address was known for being rather short, but powerful, and by all accounts seen as a, a positive things, whether, uh, thing, whether you were a person who had voted for him or not. And, and the main gist of his speech was that there was a lot of work to be done in order to make America and the world a better place, and therefore everybody needed to band together, roll up their sleeves, and get to work uh, doing something. And uh, it wasn't just him as president that needed to work or Congress as the elected leaders, but every true red-blooded American, he was calling upon them to, uh, to get into action and to work. And the most famous line from that particular speech came near the end of the speech when he said, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. So imagine that if you would, right? What would this be like if every single U.S. citizen was out there working and looking for some way that they could be involved to benefit the country and make it a better place instead of looking for what the country can do for them. And see, that's what seems to be the prevailing attitude, right, is what can the country do for me? By and large, it seems like in America right now, there's this entitlement mentality. We not, uh, we not only want the government to provide this for us and that for us, we actually believe that we deserve that and that they should be doing that for us. 
In fact, uh, we want it, and we want it all for free. Uh, well, you know, I mean, we'll make those rich people pay for it, and, and if the rich people pay all the taxes, then we can have all the stuff we want for free. And that seems to be the attitude in the country. People are looking for ways to work less and get more. And unfortunately, a very similar attitude to that seems to have crept into and and firmly rooted itself even within the church. And when I say church, I I mean all true believers uh, together. But I guess I'm specifically thinking here in America because that's just what it seems to be like here. And I have no idea what the actual percentages of it would be, but it sure seems to me like the vast majority of preaching out there today is focused on what God can do for you. Come to Jesus, and He's going to make you healthy, wealthy, and happy, and, and there's just you know uh, very little preaching about your duty and obligation towards God and a whole lot of preaching about how you can have your best life now type of thing. It's because of that imbalance that we have taken so much time, spent so many weeks focusing on what it really means to be a slave of Christ. We are expected to work. And that really shouldn't come as any type of surprise or a shock to our system because that's what slaves do, right? They work. And, and, and I have mentioned a few times, and I'll, I'll do it again just because we have to be clear about this. We don't want to mix this up with salvation. The, a person cannot do any type of good works in order to merit salvation. There's no possible way you could ever possibly do enough good things to earn your way into heaven. Forgiveness of sins and salvation is a free gift from God. It is received through faith and faith alone. End of story. That's all she wrote, period. That's, that's the way that is. We are redeemed children of God purely by grace and nothing else. However, once we are saved, we're not supposed to just lay around on the beach waiting for Jesus to come back. That's not what the Bible tells us to do. There are expectations for us, jobs to do, work to be done. The uh, famous theologian and reformer Martin Luther was fond of saying, we are saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. And by that, he meant that any true Christian who is genuinely saved by faith will invariably find himself or herself working for Christ. And somehow, over the past, I don't know how many decades in America, that, that concept seems to have been lost. And now salvation is all about me and what I get out of it and what Jesus is going to do for me and how he's going to make me feel good and how I can be happy. And people will do all kinds of things in the name of happiness thinking they have a right to do whatever they want to be happy. But the reality is we've been called to be slaves. Focusing on me is not slave thinking, it's consumerism. It's the what's in it for me and what am I going to get out of it type of thinking. And that's the exact opposite of the attitude Jesus calls his followers to have. 
I mean, we saw the attitude that we should have uh, back in our second message in this series when, when Jesus gave that illustration, you remember, of a slave who had been out laboring all day in the fields. I mean, he had been uh, working hard all day, and then when he finally gets in at the end of the day, what does he get to do? Relax and take it easy? No. He's expected to get supper ready for the master and get everything taken care of for him and, and, and all those things done first. And then Jesus said this uh, he, uh, with it. He said, so you too, speaking to his followers, which would include me and you, right? So you too, when you do all these things which are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. See, that should be our mindset all the time. That's who we are. We are slaves and slaves work. But, we're not just any slaves. We are slaves of Jesus Christ. And that's an important distinction. We have to make that. Uh, even in the ancient world, uh, when the New Testament was written, there was a great disparity amongst slaves, depending on who your master was. If your master was uh, a, a great and powerful man, then that meant something. If two slaves happened to walk into a merchant shop at exactly the same time and one of them had a very powerful master, well, that highest-ranking master, the slave of him, would take precedence. He got weighted on first. He received the merchant's uh, best service. There were benefits to being the slave of an important person. In the same way, there are benefits to being a slave of Christ. But before we look at those benefits, I want to make three more quick points on being a slave. Okay? The first one is this. We need to remember that as a slave, our main goal, our number one aim is always to make the master happy by doing what he's commanded us to do. In 2 Corinthians 5, 9, the Apostle Paul put it this way. He says, Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. To be pleasing to Him. All day long, everything we do, we want to be pleasing to God. Now, I realize even as I say that, some people are going to hear that as, as kind of a guilt-inducing statement, you know, thinking something along the lines, well, man, if I'm not doing something religious or churchy, or, you know, if I'm not reading the Bible and praying and singing hymns all day, well, then that means God's not going to be happy with me. But that's not what that means at all. We've got to remember that God has called us to do a great many things praying and reading the Bible and singing, that, that, that's maybe just a, a small portion of what he's called us to. Think of it like this. If you are a parent, there are times when the number one thing you can do, the best thing you can do, the way you can please the master is to play with your kids. He's called you to do that as a parent, to build that relationship with them, to teach them about life, through the activities and things that are going on. If you have a job, pleasing God means being the best employee that you can be, whether that would be flipping burgers or managing a business. And when you think about work, understand that God is the one who designed this whole concept and idea. 
of having a day off. Remember that? Of resting. Of going on vacation. Do you know God designed three different vacations into the life, the, the yearly calendar of, of Israel? So all of those things can be part of pleasing God. Uh, to be a good slave and to please Him simply means that in everything we're doing, we're conscious of doing what God wants us to do in those situations, whether it's resting, playing, working, worshiping, all those types of things. And it also means that we would remember at all times the mission that He has called each of us to be on. Because we're called to be on mission in everything we're doing, as you're going to school, as you're going to work, as you're uh, at home, and these types of things, to reach people and to teach, to disciple those to become more like Christ. So being a good slave means that we want to please the master. Number two, second point. If you're going to be a good slave, you need to remember that you are serving Jesus and not serving people. If you make the mistake of believing that you're serving people rather than Jesus, you're going to run into trouble. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. Much, if not most, of what God calls us to do in terms of service is going to involve other people, right? Many people will benefit from what God calls you to do. People will actually be the focus of your work in ministry in, in many cases and in, in, in energy. But ultimately, you are serving not those people, but the master, Jesus. And the reason that's important to understand is because people will frequently disappoint you. They have this nasty habit of often not doing what you want them to do or expect them to do. So let's uh, just give you an example. Let's say that Nick is diligently working hard. He has this awesome idea for a youth outreach event. And, and, and I mean, it's going to take a ton of work, but, but it's just a great idea. And so he recruits a lot of other adult helpers to work him uh, with him to put this thing together. And he's all excited about what it's going to do. He knows it's going to be good not only for the kids in youth group, but, it, but, but it's also going to give them that opportunity to be involved in the Great Commission by inviting their friends from school and, and, and their neighbors and other people. And he can envision lots of people showing up and hearing the gospel and seeds being planted and, and people growing in their faith in the youth group because they're all part of this event that he has planned. It's going to be great. And then the night of the event shows up and what happens? Just a tiny handful of kids show up and none of them invited any friends. If Nick viewed his efforts as being for those kids, how disappointing would that be? He could get discouraged, dis depressed, irritated, maybe use it as, a, as an excuse to not try harder or not try to do things in the future. But if he understands that he's actually serving Jesus rather than the kids, then the results don't have to affect him negatively. Because, see, the reality is God's not looking at our results. He's looking at our faithfulness, right? That's what's required of a slave, to be faithful. God's the one who's in charge of results. 
not us. And beyond that, if, if you remember that you're serving Jesus, then the mundane, uh, even the undesirable jobs that we all end up doing one time or the other, those become sacred acts of worship. I mean, that's what Jesus was trying to teach his disciples when he washed their feet, right? Washing feet was a slave's job, uh, the least pleasant of all the slave jobs. But if you keep in mind that when you're doing it for Jesus, it's suddenly worthwhile. And it's this whole concept of understanding that your work and service is for Jesus that allowed the Apostle Paul to write to people who were actually slaves under human masters, these instructions in Ephesians 6 when he said, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in sincerity of your heart as to Christ. That's who they're serving, as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. No matter who you are, you're a slave of Christ, not that other master. I mean, if we had time to unpack those verses this morning, we would see that doing whatever human job you're doing, whatever the master assigns, and doing it well is a way of doing the will of God and is made bearable by understanding that I'm doing this and I'm doing my best job. I'm putting all my effort into it because I'm doing this for Christ. That's who I'm serving. If we think that we're serving people, we become slaves to those people. But if we're serving Christ, then no matter what happens, we can maintain a good attitude as we work because we know we're His slave. So point one, uh, our main goal is to please the Master. Point two, uh, remember you're serving Jesus, not people, uh, even if people are directly impacted by what you do. And point three, we need to remember this, you are a slave by choice. Remember in the very first message, I talked about how most of the time in most of our English translations of the Bible, that Greek word doulos, which means slave, is usually or almost always translated as servant instead. And, and, and probably this happened because with, with our, our English um, Mindset and reading, there's such a, a powerful negative connotation to the idea of slave. And, and so th they chose to translate it as servant rather than slave. But oftentimes in our English Bibles, you'll see the word bond servant. And bond servant has a little bit different connotation because it implies this slave by choice. Biblical slavery was very, very different from what we think of in American history. Uh, God set up uh, laws and safeguards and protections uh, for slaves, and one of them is found in Deuteronomy chapter 15. We're going to look at a few verses here in Deuteronomy 15. 15, 12 says this, If your kinsman, a Hebrew, man or woman, is sold to you, okay, we're talking slavery there, is sold to you, then he shall serve you six years, but in the seventh year you shall set him free. See, slavery back then was often used as a means of getting out, a very, out of a very desperate financial situation. And, and so when an owner bought you as his slave, he had to pay off all of your debts, and in return for that, you had to then serve him as a slave for six years. But you always knew that your freedom was coming. 
And then beyond that, again, this is the way God set this up here. At the end of those six years, God commanded that this owner uh, would not just send the slave away empty-handed. He's not like, okay, you served me six years, now get out of here type of thing. He, he told him, you have to get this guy set up. Verse 14, you shall furnish him liberally from your flock and from your threshing floor and from your wine vat. You shall give to him as the Lord God has blessed you. So you see, slavery was a way for bankrupt people to get a fresh start in life. Their debts were eliminated. They, they, they worked to get it paid off through, through the slavery, but now they got a stake to get things restarted in life. How much do you think that would change our bankruptcy laws in the United States if we instituted this type of thing? Um, but it worked. And sometimes you got to the end of that six-year period and the slave decided, I don't want to go. And, you know, that's, that's really hard for us to even imagine because all we can think of is the, the horrors and the, and the abuses of the American slavery system. But again, with the, the safeguards and the different protections God put in there, there was a very different thing. And so sometimes you got to the end of that six-year period and you would have a situation that, like described in verse 16 here. It says, it shall come about uh, uh, if he says to you, I will not go out from you because he loves you and your household since he fares well with you. So, so did you catch that? He's, he's, he's set to be free, but instead of being free, he says, no, I don't want to go. And there's two reasons he doesn't want to go. One, he loves the master. And it says the whole household. He loves them. That implies that there was a real relationship between those two. And number two, because it fares well with him. So, Keep those two things in mind because we're going to come back to them in just a minute, but, but I just need to explain. If that was the case, here's what would happen. If the slave, you know, master comes up and says, well, your six years is up. You're free to go now. Man, I don't want to go. I want to be your slave forever. Uh, uh, then the master would take the slave and would back him up against a, a heavy wooden door, pull his earlobe out like this, take an awl and a big hammer, thwack him right through the earlobe to, to put a hole in there and, and stick an earring in him. And that, that signified that you have given up your right, your freedom, your autonomy, and you have chosen to be my slave. That's what's being described in verse 17 when it says, Then you shall take an awl and pierce it through his ear into the door, and, you shall, and he shall be your servant. How long? Forever. And you shall do likewise to your maidservant. That last sentence, just a reminder that either male or female, they could choose to make this a permanent relationship. And you know what? That's a perfect picture of salvation for us. Only we have, you know, a different ceremony to symbolize uh, the, the re reality of that forever relationship. Instead of having uh, an all driven through your earlobe, uh, we get baptized. Uh, it, it's not the ear piercing that made this person a permanent slave, right? That commitment was already made in his heart. That choice was already made. He expressed it to the master. I, I want to be your slave forever. And the earring just acted as a tangible, visible symbol of that decision that had been made. In the same way, we understand baptism doesn't save us, but it is a visible, tangible symbol of what took place in your heart when you came to Christ for forgiveness of sins and salvation. And that's why, biblically, baptism is always something that comes after a profession of faith. 
But anyway, the point here is you are a slave to Christ, but you are a slave by choice. Again, you may remember back from the first message of this here, in that series I reminded us every single person in this world is a slave. You're either a slave to sin or a slave to Christ. Now, if you're a slave, slave to sin, there's a whole plethora of, of subcategories you could be enslaved to underneath that, right? I mean, you could be enslaved to yourself. You could be enslaved to some addiction that entangles you over and over again. You, you, you could be enslaved to uh, money, sex, power, the pursuit of happiness, whatever it is. But the choice to become God's slave means that you are giving up on all your own pursuits. Again, think back to this slave in Deuteronomy. He voluntarily gave up his freedom, his rights, his ability to direct his own life, uh, to follow his own agenda. Uh, in making this uh, decision to be a slave forever, he jettisoned any personal authority and his own will and subjugated himself to the authority and the will of the master. That's what Jesus Christ is calling us to do. But why did this slave do it? Because, remember those two things I told you to remember? Because he loves the master and he fares well with him. I mean, his own life was not going well before that. In fact, it was a mess. He was struggling and he was failing, but with the master, he was taken care of. His debts were paid off and everything he needed for life was provided for him by the master. He no longer had to worry about... Um, not being able to pay the bills at the end of the month. He and his family were under the protection of the master. They were safe. They were secure. They were amply provided for. And beyond that, they actually became a part of the family, of the master's family there. That's what's implied with that, that uh, relationship of love between the master and the slave. Those were the benefits of being his slave. And the reality is the truth is much greater for us in our relationship with Jesus Christ when we become His slave. Of course, since we start out as slaves to sin, each and every one of us has an enormous debt to be paid, one that is impossible for us to pay off on our own. But Jesus has taken care of that debt for us, as Colossians uh, 2.14 says, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. As his slave, we are debt-free, no longer able to be hounded for payment for our sins. And then you become a beloved member of God's family. He's your loving heavenly father, and you have brothers and sisters in Christ. Then the master uh, takes on the responsibility of caring for your needs. As we trust him and obediently follow him from his hand, we can expect to receive those things we need. That's the promise uh, from Philippians. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, we could do a whole sermon on making sure we don't mix up you know, needs and wants and that kind of stuff, but God is taking care of our needs. The master is also committed to protect us. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 says, But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. 
We do have an enemy out there. He's walking about like a roaring lion. He's seeking people, right? But we do not have to fear him. We have nothing to fear from him because the master is our protector. And there is nothing that can happen to us outside of the master's plan and control. So now, now we're beginning to see some of the benefits of being Christ's slave. But it gets even better than this. It gets even better than these things we talked about. Remember our opening verse? Jesus said to those obedient, faithful slaves, enter into the joy of your master. What does it mean to enter into the joy of your master? What, what's all that all about? Well, that's what we're going to look at next Sunday, so you're going to have to come back for that. But we already saw it today as we make that transition to the benefits here. You get the love of family. You get provision and protection from the master. Isn't it a great burden to take off your shoulders, to have those things taken care of for you? That's what it means to be a slave of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I know slavery talk is not popular today. I know the popular sermons focus on felt needs and, and what we're going to get out of it and all these great things. But God, I, I think that's reverse order. Yes, you do have incredible things for us. We're looking at the benefits of following Christ and what that really is going to mean. But God, you have called us and positioned us as your slaves. That's the attitude and the heart that you want us to have. And so, God, I pray that we would be able to do that day by day as we are looking, as we interact with other people, as we encounter various situations, to remind ourselves I'm a slave of Christ. I want to please Him in all respects. God, as we do that, that's when you use us to impact this world around us. So God, help us to be slaves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.